Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 31st, 2012. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 4, We Agnostics. And we are at the very bottom of page 53, the last paragraph, beginning with that was natural. Today's readers are Sharon, Michelle, Judy B, Fran, and Carol P. And the share code for yesterday's meeting, Tuesday's meeting, is 3247. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps, please. Anne-Marie, would you press star one to unmute? Sorry, Victoria, you can hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater, uh, 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over, over food, that our life had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Anne S., would you please read the 12 traditions? 
and press star on mute. Are you there, Anne? Hello, I'm here. I'm sorry, I thought I was unmuted. Hi, my name okay. is Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion we always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, thank you, and I pass. Thank you, NF. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you have done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the big book, the chapter four, We Agnostics, on <clears throat> page 53, the last full paragraph on that page, beginning with, that was natural. I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Good morning. This is Sharon, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Victoria, and everyone on the line. That was natural, but let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? For did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? 
Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful, to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. Now, what Bill is referring to is that when he says that was natural, but the, uh, he was referring to people who, whom after he had gone through several pages of trying to help people understand uh, that uh, we can have faith in, in uh, a power greater than ourselves, he was referring to people who still were hesitant to take that step of faith, to take that step away from trusting in their own mental reasoning ability and take that step of faith in, uh, to faith in a power greater than themselves. And so he says, that's, that's okay. That's natural because he goes on to say that, um, uh, well, he had said before that that reasoning had brought us so far. It had done things for us. It had demonstrated to us that it could help us in some way or another. And, but then he says, let's think about this. Let's think about uh, this step of faith, this ability to believe in something other than yourself. Without knowing it, he says, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? And that, for me, I had to think about that. And I think, well, yeah, wait a minute. What kind of faith have I been having? And then the reality is, he goes on to say, is haven't we been having faith in our own reasoning ability? And for those of us who are struggling with being able to believe in a power greater than ourselves, with those of us who are struggling with being able to let go and grab hold of the outreached hand that this program offers. Let us think about this. Haven't you or aren't you having faith in your own reasoning ability? And then I would take it even further and say, and look where that's gotten us. You know, that got us into despair and misery and uh, to the abyss, you know, looking at, at, you know, at the jumping off point. So why not, why not take that step of faith? Take that step of faith. It says, did we not have confidence in our own ability? And look where that got us. And all that this program is asking it's giving you proof. You have proof by looking at others who have, who have done it. And it started with the seed with Bill and Bob, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And everyone really is, it, it, we're not even asked to have blind faith because we can see that others have recovered and what a great life they have with uh, that they get recovered from this addiction that nothing that I have thought about, no scheme, no plan, no ideas that I have uh, pulled together were able 
to bring me recovery. But then I look and I see that others have recovered. And there's this space between me and them. And it's the gap. And the way to get across that gap, across that, that gulf from misery and despair into a life of joy and happiness to stop eating compulsively. Their hand is stretched out and they're saying, all you have to do is to let go of having faith in your own reasoning ability. We don't, we don't, we can't really understand with our minds how this program works and stop trying to figure it out and just reach out and have faith in what you know other people have been able to receive and do what they do, listen to what they uh, say that they have done and just do that. Now, this doesn't mean that we give up our intellectual ability we just make it subordinate to our faith in a power greater than ourselves. And we make it subordinate to believing that this program, working the 12 steps, that our higher power can bring us to recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would someone else like to comment on what was just read? This is Janice. Good morning, Janice. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So once again, Bill is leading us through this whole thinking process that we have. You know, we for those of us, and you might be one of them, I certainly was one of them, saying, you know, I don't I don't believe. I, I can't believe. You know, I, I don't understand, so I can't believe. But I think that what he's saying here is you were believing. You were believing in something. You had come to believe in something. I had come to believe in something. I believed in my own logic and my own reasoning ability and my own determination and my own self-motivation. I believed in those things. And because I believed in those things, they were enough impetus to get me to take action. You know, I took action based on those things, on my logic, on my reason, on my determination, on my self-motivation. But guess what? It was nothing against this disease. It was nothing against this spiritual illness that I had. And yes, he says, we had been faithful. That belief had grown into a faith. But what I had been faithful to was the God of reason. So faith, he says, has been involved all the time, all the time. And what I'm seeing here in our study of the big book is that, you know, believing always had to be the beginning. It had to be the beginning. And that believing had to be strong enough to make a decision. You know, we had to make a decision based on that belief, and that decision was to work the 12 steps, as if my life depended on it. 
and that's what he's saying here is, you know, what, what, what was I practicing but a certain sort of faith? What was I believing in? But those things I was believing in were not helping me. I was miserable. I was under the lash of compulsive overeating, physically and mentally, and I couldn't straighten out until I was willing, willing to think differently. And you were introducing some new ideas that there was a power greater than myself who could restore me to sanity. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I comment? Yes, Paula. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning to you. You know, I'm just going to back up one line because it's such a wonderful introduction to where we are. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile and we did not like to lose our support. If that's all you had, you held on for dear life. But then... Look at what it says. It doesn't condemn you for that. It doesn't put you down for that. That's where they walked. And it said that was natural. Oof. Wow, what a relief. But there's the but. Let us think a little more closely. And then it says, without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? I don't know what kind of faith it was, but it brought me where I was. And there was a belief there in that faith. You know, I always said, well, you know, is it odd or God? You know, I don't say that anymore. There's no question in my mind. There was at one time, oh, wasn't that odd? No. Isn't that God? And it ends with, and I'm going to say, so in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. Not some of the time. All the time to bringing me to the place where I was and am. Thank you. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. We'll move on to the next paragraph now. Michelle. Victoria, uh, would you? Marie. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was trying to speak and I was um, muted. I wanted to share a little bit on this paragraph. All right. We'll take one more share before moving on. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Because it just really hit me. Um, it reminded me when Bill on page eight was just beginning to get um, his ego deflation, but he was remembering the top of page eight. He was re- um, he writes, "I who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capabilities, just to mount obstacles, was cornered at last." And I, like Bill, thought that. I had the answers. And so, yes, I can understand that they're saying, from what I'm understanding from this paragraph, is that if you don't believe in a God and you're believing in yourself, um, then you're making yourself the God. And um, I didn't have trust in other people to help me. I didn't have trust in God. Um, I truly believe that God works through other people. But I was so hesitant to put my trust in in God or in anyone else. And um, yet, I like Bill, you know, um, I thought so well of myself that I could handle this problem on my own, and I tried over and over and over again, and and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to help myself. 
um, and I really needed to turn my will and my life over the care of God and trust that the people that he put in my life was where I needed to go. But I first needed to trust that God was in control and had that power. Thanks. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Michelle, would you read the next paragraph, please? Yes, good morning. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, God. We found, too, that we had been worshipers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring bring on. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves? And then with a better motive, had we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower? Who of us had not loved something or somebody? How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? It was impossible to say that we had no capacity for faith or love or worship. In one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else. And um, in this paragraph, um, Bill is writing to further um, to further show me, to further show us that um, if I thought that I couldn't live by faith and that I had to depend on reason, um, here's some examples in my life of where I had actually been a worshiper. I had been living by faith. And it says in the last sentence, and little else. Um, talks about <clears throat> I had worshipped people. Um, I, you know, it reminds me of the times when I would look to these, um, I would call them diet gurus, um, people who had found the latest and the greatest way to lose weight because that's where my focus was. That's where I, I thought the answer was. Um, our sentiment, things, money, myself, it's already been discussed. I put a lot of faith in myself and in my thinking and in my intelligence and my ability to find an answer but I wasn't willing to, to put a faith in something I didn't see until I came into the rooms of um, Overeaters Anonymous, until I came into a 12-step program and saw that um, you all were believing um, and just asked me, well, could I believe that, that you were believing? Um, but here's some examples of what I did, of, of things that I worshipped. And the last sentence, in one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else, well, what form had I chosen? Uh, the form I had chosen to put my faith in was food. Um, that was something I had turned to over and over since about the age of 12, and I truly believed um, that food was the answer for me. Um, I, In the beginning, it seemed to bring that ease and, and comfort that I was so looking for. But as my disease progressed, I found that um, um, I had little faith in it as time went on and didn't know where to put my faith anymore. And I was starting to look to other people and um, for answers until I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. But if I, have any, if I had any doubt that I was putting my faith in other things, here it is in black and white that, indeed, I had worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, myself, and um, in a substance, a, a binge food. And... Um, Thankfully, by the grace of God, I found that there was something much greater, more powerful that I could transfer my faith to that would give me hope in, 
and um, give me the recovered life that I was searching for all along. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Who else would like to share and what was read? This is Susan, Florida. Susan, good morning. Go ahead, please. Hi, Victoria. Thank you. Good morning, group. Grateful to be here. What just came to my mind here, as I'm listening to everybody share, is I have a disease of more. I wanted more. I wanted more people. I wanted more things. I wanted more money. I wanted myself. Um, I wanted to see more of a sunset or go on a cruise, you know, to the sea or a flower. I wanted more. So in knowing that I have this disease of more and listening to the instructions here and thinking about the things that I put as my God, oh my goodness, the thing I cannot believe how many destructive things I have done by relying on these things and then eating over them because I didn't get them. I, I moved thinking that I would find a God somewhere else, wherever I went, that my God was there. I just couldn't see it. I, I was running a collision course with God. I was running in total collision. And my thinking was so warped that I got myself into lots of trouble. And I'm so grateful that I can see this isn't could come out here. Uh, it was, it was, I was so destructive to myself because my thinking was so warped. And I realize now, because I, I'm understanding I have a mental disease, I couldn't let God in. I couldn't let that um, that faith in because I was so twisted. My my reasoning here, like it says, my reasoning was so twisted, and um, it just kept me stuck for so many years. You know, thirty years sitting in rooms here and not understanding. But oh my God, you know, I know everybody's you know thumping a little bit to to talk on this, but it, it's so true. It's so true, and I'm sitting here. I have goosebumps, just like it says, I have goose flesh, you know, that brought me to understand the things that I worship instead of my real God. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Susan. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and I'd like to comment on what was just read. Um, this paragraph certainly describes my life and disease, although I couldn't see it at the time because I didn't have that clarity. But I, my, my faith was in myself, certainly. Interestingly, the big book says, in sentiment. It wasn't deep, deep, full-bodied, emotionally sober um, feeling. It was sentiment. It was kind of on the surface of things and tending toward the maudlin which I would do, putting my faith in things, in money. I did a lot of compulsive shopping. Um, I was trying to fill that hole with stuff. And most of the times when I got it at home, it didn't have its glitter anymore. That glitter was lost very quickly. And of course, people, people would ultimately fail me because they were fallible like me although not having the clear thinker, 
being in the disease, I didn't expect people to fail me. I had no I had no real idea of their fallibility. I just wanted what I wanted from them. So I was putting my faith all over the place. It was kind of a shallow faith, and it was really about getting what I wanted, filling that hole. And when it clearly didn't work, I did not conclude that I was putting my faith in the wrong things and the wrong places. That was not my conclusion. I concluded that faith was useless, that faith was a way of fooling me into believing in the impossible. And so I was going to have no more of faith. Even though, as the big book points out now, I did continue to believe, attempt to believe in all kinds of things long after I had disavowed faith, my misplaced faith, um, I deluded myself into thinking I was functioning solely by reason and faith was something I had evolved beyond. But this paragraph, one of the wonderful things about it is that it gives intimations of what a spiritual life is made of and how it's experienced. It says, we're not these things, the tissue out of which our lives were constructed. It it refers to something so deep and fundamental in us that it, in disease, I had no idea really existed because I had become so spiritually deadened. And this paragraph begins, it certainly challenges many of my old ideas, a big one being I no longer had the capacity for faith. I couldn't afford faith. And that I was incapable of love in my self-centered existence. I had truly come to believe I wasn't capable of love. And the truth was, in the disease, I was. But I'd given up faith that my capacity to love others could even be restored. And I experienced such a death of the spirit that I had become incapable of worship or reverence. It was replaced by cynicism and a sense of abiding emptiness. So this paragraph is beginning to intimate to me, the hopeless reader, that there is something worth putting faith in that is deeper and more enduring than my misplaced faith had been. And with that, I pass. Would someone else care to share on that paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Hi, everybody. It's Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus in on this statement here. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves... Essentially what the big book is teaching me here is that I had a faulty dependency on people, sentiment, things, money, and and myself, you know, on, on these people, on these things, on money, on myself, on circumstances, 
to supply me with a feeling of security, to supply me with a feeling of well-being, to supply me with a feeling of happiness. And when I failed to get those things according to my wishes and my demands and my specifications, I ended up uh, fighting everything and everybody. You know, it says down here, it says, did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? Yes, because I was on a on pursuit. You know, I was in pursuit. I was chasing for what I thought I needed for my stability. You know, I thought I needed people in a certain way. I thought I needed things in a certain way, money in a certain way, myself. You know, these were the things that I worshipped. This was the trust, reliance, and dependency that I had. And it was faulty. It was faulty. It, it was not working. The bottom, of my, <laughs> the bottom line was I was looking outside of myself for scraps of pleasure, for scraps of fulfillment, for validation, for security, for love. And you know what? It was never enough. It was an endless bit. It was a never enough. And in the end, the big book is going to teach me that this treasure that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find through these steps is an unsuspected inner resource within me that not only includes all those things, but is infinitely greater than anything the world can offer. So it's trust, reliance, and dependency on on God, on a power greater than myself, my own conception of that power, mind you. You know, It it discussed in earlier pages that, you know, this is a self-imposed crisis. I was the creator of my own pain. No one was doing this to me. No one was shoving things down my, my throat. And yet I continued to worship my thinking mind and my ego. The big book is teaching me in this chapter that I need a new mind. And it has nothing to do with the intellect, actually. It's a spirit guided mind. And I can have that spirit-guided mind through the process of these 12 steps, through the process of the 12 steps. Why do I need a spirit-guided mind? Because I'm suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. In the end, the quality of my life is going to be determined by the quality of my God consciousness. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else care to read, care to share on what was read? This is Rose from New York. Hi, this is... Good morning, Rose. Oh, excuse me. And who else was next? Paula. Hello. Okay, Rose, go ahead, please. Thank you very much, Victoria. And um, God bless every one of you here on Vision for You. It's the first time I've been able to get in on this meeting. Um, This... Um, paragraph here and the line again that um, struck me as well is were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed and did not these feelings after all determine the course of our of our existence and I also had cynicism as the um, the um, essence of my makeup um, before coming to the program But the next line is the one that's striking me right now. It was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship Um, because that was my state when I came to um, the program. And it took about uh, 
38 and a half years for me to um, surrender, and then God brought me to a um, person where there was such a thin thread of faith. I didn't call it that then, but listening to this meeting today, I see that um, that's really what took place 170 days ago when I called up and asked for help after never being um, a success in the program. And as I read here, um, it was impossible to say we had no capacity of faith or love or worship that what has taken place here and what I heard you, Victoria, especially just say is that um, the capacity has always, excuse me, has always been there. And just listening to this this morning, I see it's really true. Faith really does exist. And... um I really just want to say God bless every single one of you on this meeting. I've been listening to it every day on the recording. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rose. Hi, this Would is anyone Linda. else? Oh, hi, this is Linda in Connecticut. I'd like to share, may I? Yes, Linda. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Victoria, I'm very moved by what I just heard. That very experience happened to me. Um, I need a spirit-guided life. You know what I found out? Everybody does. You don't have to be uh, addictive to need a spirit-guided life because it's a love-guided life. And it is an uh, an, uh, unsuspected inner resource. I was an atheist. If, If God could get through to me in such a powerful way, and I was as hard to convince as you, Victoria, or as uh, the gal that just spoke, or as anybody, I just was so beaten to a pulp and so terrified that I just jump and the net will appear, and it did. And I think um, I've had the experience of that gal before you, because, or that just shared, because um, one day, it was quite a while back now, I uh, I don't know where I was, probably in my house. I thought of that song, Amazing Grace. For some reason, maybe it was on the radio or something. And I started to sob because all of a sudden, triggered by that song, I thought, my God, I've been carried from the inside my whole life. And that's true. And I still am. And, of course, I need the support of all that we use, the steps and each other, because they're all channels. So thank you, and God bless you all. That was a beautiful share. Thank you, Linda. Would someone else care to share on what was read? I'm sorry, I couldn't make out a name. This is Janice. This is Janice. Okay, Janice, go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you. Yes, Bill is, and those first 100 alcoholics are giving us a little peek into something truly beautiful in this paragraph. You know, they start to use the word love. They start to use the word love and our capacity to love. Our capacity to love. You know, have 
And then with a better motive, they say, had we not worshipfully beheld a sunset, a sea, or a flower? You know, had, had we not loved someone? You know, had we not loved someone? You know, to say we had no capacity for that, they're saying was not true. Was not true. The capacity to love was there. You know, did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? It was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship. We had that capacity, and we could see it when we looked hard enough. But it had been trying to make its way through us. You know, despite the fact that we had this illness, despite the fact that we had twisted thinking, despite the fact that we were caught up in this twofold disease, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, it was there trying to break through in us all the time, all the time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else care to share on this paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Yes, Paula. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. You know, I love the way Bill reinforces over and over again because we need to hear it over and over again. You know, we ended the last paragraph much the same. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. And, you know, I keep seeing, and then we see have an explanation point on the next sentence. And then it goes on with one question. Wait, wait, here's a question for you. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves? Let me ask you another one. And then, with a better motive, motive uh, there you go. Had we not worshipped, we beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower? Another question for you. And then a who question. Who of us has not loved something or somebody? Then it continues on with another question. And then it says, little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? You know, tissue sounds like a very, you know, when we think of the word tissue, we see a very delicate thing, you know, and we know what a tissue is. But there's another thing of tissue. Any of the distinct structural materials of an organism having a particular function, the function of faith and love, that is at which our lives were constructed. And then it, and this is, again, it says it was impossible. You can't say it. You can't say it. Not honestly, to say we have no capacity for faith. We do in a great one at that. Our love, our worship. In one form or another, we have been living by faith and little else. Have we not seen the example, those of us that have had this disease and been recovered from it, you'd think we'd run away from it. Oh, I don't want to be anywhere near that disease anymore. I saw what it did. But no, we run to it. We run to the people that are still affected and suffering. Is that not love? Is that not the love that they talk to about us in the big book? They are the transformation. We learn finally to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here we learn to love ourselves and then our neighbor. There is faith and little else. Thank you for that. With that I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Judy B., would you read, please? This is Judy B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did. 
We could not prove life in the sense that you could prove a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. Yet there it was. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling on to a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seemed more intelligent than that. At least so the chemist said. So we're talking, <clears throat> we're talking over and over about faith and reason. And the faith is just so much more important for me. I, I have not been one that uh, has been able to follow and study and understand science uh, very well. I mean, things just happen, and I know there's an explanation but um, my mind somehow doesn't comprehend how electronics work, how telephones work, how computers work. Um, but now faith is another thing. I mean, I just, I just know that it exists, and I, I, don't, I don't have to prove it. Um, and and the, the, sent, well, the two sentences which really, really come to life for me are, Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. And it wouldn't be life. Um, as I'm getting older and I watch more and more people get older and some of them actually lose uh, their sense of reasoning and uh, some of them their sense of faith where they, they just don't know what's going on in the world, I I used to really fear that. I I really did. And um and talk to my family about um if it ever comes to the day where I I forget that I have this faith, I don't realize that I have this faith. Please talk to me about it. Please tell me about it because that that sentence, imagine life without faith, just really I cannot imagine it. It it is it is the um, the fabric, the basic of of all life, and um, and it's just so important. And I'm I'm so glad to live with this faith, and so glad to be sharing it with all of the people on the line because you know we see we see what this faith can do for us. It can take us from the the bitter morass of destruction into a a very meaningful life and um this big book shows us how to do that and i'm i'm so grateful for that so i i am eternally grateful that i don't have to imagine life without faith it just would be impossible with that i'll pass thank you thank you judy would someone like to share on what was just read this is margaret Yes, Margaret. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm just going to pick up on that sentence, but we believed in life. Of course we did. I can remember seven, several years ago, not seven, but several years ago in studying this book, that sentence just jumped out to me because I didn't believe in life. I didn't believe in life at all. I went back up to the sentence, the paragraph before, had it, I worshipped people sentiment, things, money, and of course, ourselves, myself. I, 
I, my capacity to surmount obstacles. I mean, that's what I really worship. That's what I believe in. I didn't believe in the everydayness of life because when things didn't go my way, well, I had to eat to, to check out, you know. So, of course, I didn't believe in life because I couldn't sustain life. It was, it was just too much for me. You, you know, I, I just couldn't bear it because I, I didn't want to grow up. You know, I, I didn't want to grow up. I wanted to live in make-believe land. But, you know, um, you know, today I thank God, you know, through listening to the line and to, um, you know, working the steps continually, and I do believe in life. And life is not always easy. You know, there's a lot of uh, difficult things that happen to all of us in life. But today, you know, um, thank God, I, I little by little by little, casting more of my own ideas aside, and the God idea becoming more and more and more real to me as I listen and study and work steps. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am. And so with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Margaret. Um, this is Victoria, compulsive overeater, recovered. I'd like to share on that paragraph. Um, one of the stumbling blocks for me with faith was that the underside of faith is was my need. It was my need, my dependency, the reality that my self-sufficiency would never, never be enough. It would not carry me. And I had so much pride, so much vanity that I, not wanting to face that need, that dependency on something beyond myself, the vulnerability of it, that I couldn't handle it all, I couldn't control it all, that I think that was another reason that I rationalized faith was fiction. Faith was based on fiction. I was above fiction. And that intrinsic vulnerability, I recognize now my intrinsic vulnerability is very much a part of my faith when I reach. It is out of my need, not just my awe, my reverence. And I had an experience a couple of days ago that would have been impossible in the disease. In the middle of my day, I experienced something that felt like hunger. It was, I experienced it. It wasn't a thought. It was an experience. And it wasn't a hunger for food. It was a hunger for a spiritual presence I cannot define, I cannot name, that I have come to rely upon. And I thought, Oh, all these things, people, obligations have been taking my day. And this hunger is real. It's inside me. And it comes out of the faith that this paragraph describes. And it reaffirms for me again what the big book has said in different places, that I am born with a space for a higher power within me, the spirit. And it is an innate, it is out of my innate need for that power that I experience that kind of hunger. And it can be fed by 
practicing the presence by conscious contact with the God of my understanding. And with that, I'll pass. Would someone else like to comment on what was read? Hello, this is Rose from New York. Yes, Rose, go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. Um, I didn't plan to speak again, but what you just said has really pierced me again also, this hunger for spiritual presence, because that is the uh, description of um, what has happened to me since um, God gave me this program. I am a recovered um, compulsive overeater. Sorry for not saying that. And um, I want to thank you. Um, I just want to thank all of you so much. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would someone else like to share on what was last read? Press star one to unmute. This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. It says here we could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line is the shortest distance between points, yet there it was. Um, You know, when I came here, I was experiencing such pain and such misery. Um, You know, I was beaten into a state of reasonableness. I mean, sure, you know, I'm I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier by any means, but, you know, my mind had taken me to certain places and certain accomplishments and achievements. Um, But, you know, I, (laughs) I, uh, you know, my, um, the result of the way I was living, I mean, just like it's described on page 52, you know, let me, let me refresh all of our memories. I was having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. I mean, I had a rough time living. I had a rough time living. You know, these accomplishments and these achievements that were um, gained through any intellect that I could put together um, were not allowing me to live fully, to live usefully, to live wholly. My mind is an instrument. Yes, it is God-given. Yes, it is a tool. And it's there to be used for a specific task. But in terms of recovering from this disease, I had to let go of my ability to analyze and my ability to reason and my ability to discriminate and throw in the towel and say, I don't know. I don't know. And what you people said to me, you those who were recovered standing on the shore, said, you know what, we don't have to prove the existence of God to you, Leah. What we have to do is convince you of your need of God. And you know what? Pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. I had gotten to a point of such pain, such pain, that I was willing, willing to believe, willing to, uh, to fire my ego and my intellect as, as my guide and to allow, to be willing enough and open enough to allow that to be replaced by a different guide, and that is submission to God. Submission to these principles, submission to the action steps that are clearly described in its pages. And only when that ego and that intellect could be dethroned 
could God rule in my life? God came in through my wound. Finally, the pain got so great that when my resistance ceased, God appeared. You know, when my resistance stopped, God came into my life. God was there. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. But something had to get out of the way. And, and, and what that was was me. I had to get out of the way <laughs> because I was killing myself with my own hand. I never knew how destructive I could be with my own hand. So it, in the bottom line, it was, it was reason versus faith in the unknown. Man, myself, versus faith in God. Something I couldn't understand, something I couldn't describe or comprehend. But the results were there in those who had recovered. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I wanted. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Fran, would you please read A Vision for You? Yes. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass. Thank you.